Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for Prelim Week, which is the most wonderful time of the year. Add to that some Buddy Franklin show and the AFLW game scheduled at the G and serve up a slice of Beyonce opening the Oscars dressed like a giant tennis ball and I am giddy with talk topics. There's no way I can tackle these topics of the week without my football-loving Sanctum siblings. I'm going to let this dream team introduce themselves. I'm Shelley Ware. I'm Kate Sear. And I'm Lucy Race. Oh, and in case I forgot to mention it, I'm Emma Race. Nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, hi, Em. Uh, Hello. It's so nice to see you. And firstly, um, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for their feedback on last week's pod because it was a hard one and it was a personal one and we really appreciated getting the love because you never quite know when you're living and tiptoeing on that edge of absolute raw personal experience, which many people shared really personal things last week and so I just want to say thank you and a shout out to everyone who got in touch with us and it means the world to be quite honest but um, usually we would start the podcast with our highlights from around the grounds but I do declare today to be a buddy's own. <laughs> Let's celebrate those thousand goals. Let's go through each goal in meticulous <laughs> detail <laughs> and really celebrate the goatiest goat of all of the goats. It was just what a phenomenal moment, Shelley, where the grin has not left your face. It was just gorgeous to see everybody running out there and just celebrating that amazing moment in time. And I loved all the stories that came out of it. And I think that's been a real highlight for me this week is all the little things, you know, like Geelong Star bumping into someone, Zach Tui, where he's bumped into someone running out and they've dropped their keys and he's chased after them and giving them the keys. And, and you know, then we've got Warner and Florence stranded outside the SCG taking a wrong turn. All these <laughs> tiny little moments that just made everything just this complete picture but that beautiful smile and his family celebrating in the box that was just tops totally tops and regardless of his own personal safety and COVID safety buddy was looked like he was for the most part really enjoying it I felt like he got the rock star moment that he knows he's been owed his whole life like a grand final premierships great whatever Coleman medals whatever getting a huge paycheck whatever this was the moment I felt like he had 
it looked like Mick Jagger on stage. It looked like that moment, you know, that um, Michael Hutchins walks out onto the stage, out into Wembley. It was like this real rock star moment. Kate, you've been such a buddy holic <laughs> your whole life. This hasn't changed since he's changed his colours. What were your no. takeaways? What were your favourite bits? Like Shelley, I just, you know, enjoyed the spectacle so much, especially when it sort of became clear probably in the third quarter that he was going to get there. It really felt like he was going to get there. It was absolutely sensational. There were so many um, wonderful aspects of it, including seeing all the photographs and footage of the event. But something that I loved came out in the aftermath uh, came from the States, and that is that there's a thing called the Pat McAfee Show in the US where they talk about sport of all kinds. And Pat and his colleagues discovered AFL, I believe, during 2020, during the lockdown when sport was pretty much cancelled everywhere globally and the AFL continued. You know, they put out really hilarious content. We've shared it on social media, so some of our listeners might have heard it. But here's a clip where Pat and a couple of his co hosts, co stars, unpack what they think was actually going on in the footy. That's amazing. That sports are back, baby. That's yeah. what that is. Sports are all the way back right there. Yeah, they are. I, and I think for him, too, to, to make that shot, too, he he took a long time preparing for it. And you could see little kids sitting on the edge, everyone waiting to charge the field. So he had to feel the momentum like, hey, I better make this sucker. Like, I don't understand with the poles, though. If he Does he have to hit between the two middle poles? Yes, it's worth a different amount of points. I believe it's uh, three and then one, one. Yep. Mm-hmm. on the outside, I think. Can go through on the ground or up in the sky, I believe. Why did you get a, yep. Is it always a free kick like that? Or how so that, that was a penalty of some sort, and they had a kick. Uh, you, can, you have to run a certain amount of steps where you have to dribble the ball. Yeah, three steps. Was right? this guy a fake fan when we were all fans and watching this and knew every rule in the game? Well, or? Yeah, he we had... weren't. By the way, we're still fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Just watching. I mean, I was it. watching it this morning because did they Jordan finish the game? Uh, they did not. Finish. I don't think so. I think that was it. Yeah, they called. Yeah, it. I mean, they're it. up by forty. I just absolutely love their enthusiasm, <laughs> despite having like absolutely no idea what was going on. And I also just admire the confidence with which they boldly declare that the game was called off and <laughs> you get three points for a goal and all that kind of thing. But on a more personal note, one of the things I loved about the game, um, and I want to give a shout out to my good friends, Nick and Lauren, and their commitment to Buddy's 1,000th goals. It's a bit of an omen watch. It's a bit of a one percenter, but um, Nick has been a lifelong Sydney Swans fan and Lauren's a Cats fan, so they flew up together to watch the game in Sydney. And I just want to acknowledge the work that Nick put in in particular because on the way up from Melbourne to Sydney, he booked flights on row number 23. And on the way back, (laughs) he also booked in row number 23. Just that little level of superstition and commitment, that one percenter got Buddy over the line. So well (laughs) done. Did he try to get seat 1000? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been like out on the tail somewhere of the plane, right? Okay, but $1,000 um, for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they are such great moments. I'm so impressed with people who went. Now, Lou, you and I probably would have freaked out if we were in a crowd like that being like pushed and pulled, but there was something about it that made me want to say, thanks, Daddy Gill, let for letting us <laughs> have lollies for dinner you know like it felt like when mum and dad be like who wants to go to mcdonald's drive through and we'd look at each other and think what's happening are they getting divorced (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and there was nothing that illustrated that more than the people that were already over the fence before Mm. he'd even taken that shot so what were they going to do were they going to jump back over i found that really quite extraordinary 
full disclosure, I didn't watch the match live because I was off seeing some musical theatre, which was wonderful. But so I came back and then tried to basically just devour all of the images and catch up and everybody's taken. It took me hours to get to sleep because I was just so overwhelmed by it. It was incredible. And to see some of the footage, particularly that drone footage where everybody Mm. looks like tiny little ants and Buddy is a big piece of sugar. (laughs) And it was just, it was really beautiful. But I seriously have not stopped chuckling at the photo of Chad Warner and Ollie Florent who were <laughs> oh, yeah. found themselves on the other side of the ground and couldn't basically get back through the crowd. I think that Chad found Ollie who was on his back. It sounds quite scary. He'd fallen over and Ollie said, Chad, Chad, help me up. And so he helped him up and they realised they were on the other side of the ground and couldn't quite get back to where they were meant to go down the Swans race. So an official led them, They, I think they went down the Geelong race and ended up, they couldn't go all the way around through the ground. So they had to go back out onto Driver Avenue. <laughs> and there is something particularly wonderful about seeing a person or a thing out of place. It's why I think those mascot photos are so funny when you see mascots just in real life, just sit, sitting down and on the, on the side of a ground. So I really love that. And then to just the icing on the cake was John Longmire talking about how he was in the rooms and he had to do a head count. He realised he was five players short. And it's like that, that kindergarten teacher that's just lost five kids on the school excursion. So I got a lot of joy out, out of that. And um, one other thing that you guys were all talking about on the chat was when Gordon Coventry kicked a 1,000 goals that Geelong gave him a special gift because he was playing for Collingwood. It was against Geelong. And they gave him a travelling rug with a magpie emblem on it and a silver cigarette case. So I'm wondering what you think would be an appropriate gift for Geelong to give Buddy. That's so weird. Shall I go with my, my idea first? Sure. My first thought was hopefully not COVID because I think that would be the worst <laughs> memorabilia ever. <laughs> Secondly, I thought that was a gift of warmth and convenience and I thought maybe the the equivalent in 2022 would be an Udi and a Keep Cup. Oh, that's nice. Nice. Buddy in an Udi. It would need to be pretty long. A booty. <laughs> Can I say, I think that, you know how there was that weird dance that the AFL, and when I say the AFL, I mean Gil, were doing beforehand saying, look, we're not going to say you should jump the fence. But then there was like four security guards and there was absolutely mm. no attempt to stop people. I actually think that that is one of the most strategic and incredible marketing moments of the AFL ever. When you think about how desperate they have been to get into international markets, knowing that in a post-COVID world, to have that many people in one spot, firstly, is going to be news breaking. But for it to be for something that is a huge celebration and a moment where the marquee player that who really represents the most beautiful parts of Australia is at the centre of that, quite literally at the centre of that. Uh, It's at the SCG, the way that all of the photographs, you know, the Michael Wilson photographs were absolutely extraordinary and having the old grandstand in the background. It was a real throwback to parochial history and uh, it was a bit of a renaissance moment, I think, for South Melbourne having, you know, all there was all different jumpers out there. There was 
the, the heritage in the background. There was the future of, of the competition. And I guess it was a taking, ripping the wrappers off of a brand new season because we're only into the second round. I just think that it was from an AFL marketing perspective, those scenes are epic, absolutely epic, Kate. Yeah, it's interesting. It was also a nice little homage to Where's Wally, don't you think? <laughs> so <laughs> Where's Wally? I was looking at Tipping those photos thinking, I know these and on every screen, there's so many screens and you could see all the buddies just constantly reproduced. And, yeah. you know, that's art in itself. It's a, it's a non-fungible to- token, isn't it not? <laughs> is it not? Is that what it is? It's, crypt- it's, crypt- it's Bitcoin. I think, yeah. I think Bitcoin. it was a bit crypto or something, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, so someone will make a lot of money off that. It won't be the guy who had to hand back the ball. But surely there's been some dirty deal done under the table and he's, you know, got life membership and he's having Christmas at Buddy's house or something. I don't even know. There was a whole table of merch like laid out for him. He gets a special certificate. Honestly, I I found that all a bit distasteful. I'm like, you're a grown adult. Just hand the ball back. You don't need any. I think he was stuck on your face. I think I think he said he had always planned on doing it and he even went home and slept with it because he was so scared someone was going to break in and steal it from his home. But he did. He got a five-year membership for Sydney and then also for the SCG. So they did take care of him, but, you know, it's a $200,000 ball, but it's also Buddy's ball, you know. Yeah. But that is that moment it, it needs to be his. But I think he planned on doing it. How did we feel about the snaplock bag with grandma's ashes being scattered on the SCG. It was unusual and it was really well planned unless you carry grandma's ashes around in your handbag with you. <laughs> I thought that that was something that probably didn't need to be captured on video. I reckon that that might have raised a few eyebrows. I'm not sure that that's kind of, you know, really within the spirit of it. But at the same time, footy does mean a lot to people and you take your shot when you get it. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> That lady's name was Edna Dixon and obviously it was very important to Joel and Crystal, their grandchildren, who did scatter her. We take for granted a little bit on our access to the MCG and the SCG because, you know, we can pretty much go there and be a part of a function or head down and do something, you know, participate in a function on the MCG. But for some people that just never, ever, ever happens. And clearly for Edna it was very, very important. I was quite amused by Sean Burgoyne's, um, oh, my God, somebody has to now roll in that in the, when they go for the ball. But for Joel and Crystal and obviously for Edna, it meant something to them and it was very special. So I think in death that's all we can do is, is you know, give people what they want, you know, and it's often we, we don't do that because we don't understand sometimes what it actually means to people to be scattered in a certain area so I take my hat off to them for their initiative and you know getting there to that game and you could see by the look on her face it was very special to that family. They had a photo of Edna there with them. Yeah it meant a lot to them and to me it's like uh, maybe don't please take me to the MCG but their family it was everything clearly. Mm. Would you have run out if you were there? Would you have run onto the ground Kate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I went to the game in 2008 here in Melbourne at Docklands where Buddy kicked uh, 100 goals and I would have run onto the ground but I was up on level two and there was no time for me to get down because he kicked um, that 100th so early in the game. But, yeah, I, I I couldn't have resisted if I had had an opportunity to be up in Sydney. It, I think the messaging, as you say, and from the AFL was also really clearly different on this occasion. You could tell that Gil McLaughlin was um, – 
not unhappy <laughs> for it to take place and in fact appeared to encourage it um and i think that you know i think that obviously uh gave a lot of people confidence that you know everyone was going to do it let's all get into it i think it would have been amazing well i definitely didn't in 2008 because like kate i was sitting up too high so logistics probably got in the way if I was able to get over the fence I probably would have yeah knowing that it will probably never happen again yeah I think I would have run out I'm more Um, of a joiner than a rule follower in my older (laughs) older years really shall (laughs) absolutely I would have run out I would have wanted to get right to him give him a big hug (laughs) oh yeah I'm bang up for giving buddy a hug any day of the week he doesn't have to kick a thousand for that (laughs) (laughs) true I thought it was hilarious that the commentators were even uh, discussing that they might not finish the game. That I, I don't think that there was ever th- anything in the rules that said that you're not going to finish the game. I think at all costs the game must go on. I don't, can't remember an AFL game that's been called off, but then again the following day we saw a fire alarm go off and the, and the game had to stop and then again they worked out what it was and the game went on. So I thought that that was really weird that they – it felt like – Everyone was in free fall. No one knew exactly what to expect from this moment with all the people on the field and how long it was going to take to get them off. There were some other highlights on the weekend, though, you know, we were all a bit buddy brainwashed, I think. It was really, it, it set the mood for what was actually a pretty fun weekend if you're a Hawthorne supporter or a Carlton supporter, which we all <laughs> happen to be. I'm not going to bang on about it. I'm just going to say I have screenshot the ladder a couple of times this week <laughs> just for just for a little bit of private time with myself. Um, Lucy, <laughs> was there some other, some other highlights that caught your eye? Well, we did have a final. We finally got the AFLW qualifying final between the Lions and the Pies and the Lions really, you've got to say, romped it in with a 50-point win. The poor old magpies, I think, were really feeling the effects of COVID and the lack of training. And their coach, Steve Simons, said as much that he could tell pretty much from five minutes in that they didn't have much in the tank. And I think good on them for just getting out there, for playing a final. It's been a really tough season. And I just celebrate the fact that they were able to actually get there and and play that final. But for Brisbane, I think their win for me just really highlights how many score contributors they have. They had, I think, eight separate goal scorers. And I think that the Lions' ability to score is one of their real superpowers. I think that is going to be something that's going to make them very hard to beat next week when they come up against Melbourne. And I really love watching it because it makes them so exciting. You can cover one player and another one pops up and they have so many players like Courtney Hodder, Zimmy Farquharson, who just turn the game so quickly. And then on the weekend, we saw Ola O'Dwyer kick one from outside 55. So I was really impressed by them. What about you guys? Yeah, I was impressed. And you mentioned Zimmy Farquharson, Lucy, who didn't have a huge impact on the game compared to some other performances that she'd had. But I really like watching her. She affected a couple of really important tackles and kicked that fantastic running banana goal in the fourth term, which was terrific. They look really good. And and friend of the pod, Gemma Bastiani, I saw her tweet on the weekend that this was the highest score ever kicked against Collingwood. As you say, Lou, there are undoubtedly reasons for that coming, coming into this part of the season. But Brisbane, I believe, has also uh, kicked their highest score four or five times this year, this season. They keep improving their highest ever score. So you're right, Lou. They have they have real scoring power 
and it's and it's building and it's building at the right point of the season. But you know there are some pretty good teams ahead <laughs> uh, ahead over the next couple of weeks that they'd have to get over to to win the flag. So my highlight was pretty similar to Emma's. I spent the first half of the weekend just looking at Carlton on top of the ladder. So I have screenshots <laughs> of that too, thanks to your friend Nick Kate. So that's pretty much what my highlight was. And then Buddy, nothing else to talk about here. <laughs> Fair enough. There was another moment when the AFL announced that this Saturday's game between the prelim between the Melbourne Demons and the Brisbane Lions will be played at the MCG. Now, some among us will be in ISO and won't be able to be there and for that just absolute commiserations. But for the rest of us, this is real goosebumps stuff. This is going to be a moment. If you uh, if you were a legit D supporter, like if you were just so on, on the Ds and if you've been a D supporter your whole life and you just missed out on seeing them at the grand final last year and now you've got your women's team playing in a prelim, they've never looked better, this Ds team. And I know they've had a couple <laughs> of weeks off. I think that it's going to be all the better for it. Like they're going to come out absolutely firing. There's the momentum and gravitas of this moment, I don't think we we can even quite contain ourselves in in conceptualising what this is going to be like, especially up against the reigning premiers. This is going to be an absolute cracker. I am so <laughs> looking forward to this. And I would say get online to Ticketek now and download your tickets. They are free. You can take your whole family. We will be there and I am so excited. I, I just I will be wearing seven masks between now and then to make sure that I'm not back in ISO because I get out tomorrow. I'm sorry, Lou, that I'm rubbing it in, but come along if you can. If you've got a fleeting interest, if you've never been, there will be so many happy people there who are so willing to warmly receive you and to make some noise at the MCG. This is just an absolute thrill. Yeah, and it does promise to be an absolute cracker, as you say. And I saw a really interesting stat about both of the prelim finals, actually. So Melbourne and Brisbane have played each other five times throughout the course of the AFLW competition. And Dee's fans uh, might be pleased to know that Melbourne have won four of those five games. That stat surprised me, actually. Uh, I would not have realised that off the top of my head. And similarly with the other prelim that's going to be played over in Adelaide between Adelaide and Frio, they've also played each other five times and Adelaide has won four. In both of those contests, there have been a number of really close finishes, particularly in the last year or two. So it's difficult to pick and, and as you say, how exactly the fact that Melbourne and Adelaide have had a couple of weeks off will factor into things is a bit unknown. I know that in the men's footy, when you have those teams that are waiting in the prelim week, people always say, oh, the week off hurts them because they lose momentum. I'm not sure about that. I don't think it really bears out in the stats. But in the AFLW, I think, you know, having had these couple of weeks rest after a really challenging season where lots of clubs have played games back to back to back and had to top up with players and deal with COVID, I think that week off will serve Melbourne and Adelaide or that, that extra week off serve them both very well. I'm not sure. I think that <laughs> there's a chance that they'll be a bit rusty. Honestly, I think for Adelaide and Melbourne, they've had three weeks and it's not like they can just sit around and play PlayStation. Like they've all been off working and studying and doing all of the other things and trying not to get COVID. So I don't think we know what the impact will be. And it's going to be a little bit um, mismatched because Melbourne will play Brisbane who played 
they've only just, you know, played the week ago, whereas Frio's had two weeks on the sidelines. So it's definitely an uneven playing field. I just don't know who it's going to benefit. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Kiara Bowers and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. I think it's I think you're right, Lucy. It's it's uneven playing field. But you know, in these COVID in these post-COVID times, and and the AFLW players have said this before, that they'd play on the nature strip if they had to. That I don't think that it concerns them as much as it might concern in the men's game, where we expect certain things to always hit those marks. In the AFLW, what our aim has been has been to get this grand final to happen so that the show must go on no matter what. Should we do a tip on who we think is going to win? Oh, go you on. go first. I'll copy you. Right. Well, I think the Lions, have, like we were talking about, have been pretty hit hard by COVID, but they're back on track. I'd love to see your Melbourne team win, Lucy, but I do think the Lions will win. Oh. I also think we are definitely going to be seeing Adelaide win. I think we're going to have a Brisbane-Adelaide grand final. Mm, the powerhouses. What about you, mm. Katie? What do you think? Oh, God, it's so hard. I do think Adelaide will get up against Frio. I say that partly as a biased Adelaide supporter hoping to will them on. Melbourne and Brisbane I find very hard to to pick. I'm just going to go with my heart and say that I think Melbourne. It beats true for Melbourne. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Lucy, you're obviously going for Melbourne, but do you think they're going to get it? I'm going to tip with my heart. I'm going to say Melbourne Frio. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to say Freddie's going to be the big winner. All right, let's roll up our sleeves and melee. Yesterday at the Academy Awards, I, for one, was thrilled to see sport and art do a little duet. So often the two are forced to compete. But we had Venus and Serena open the Oscars, introducing Beyonce, my best friend ever, on an arty tennis court in Compton, paying homage to the tennis ball's electric lime hue as she sang Be Alive. And then winning Best Documentary short Ben Proudfoot in his acceptance speech for the documentary The Queen of Basketball, which is about Lucy Harris. He said, If there is anyone out there that still doubts whether there's an audience for female athletes, let this Academy Award be the answer. And I loved that because, you know, that's finding an ally somewhere that you don't always expect but a real heavy hitter. So I enjoyed that. I particularly also enjoyed Amy Schumer when she said, inspirational, isn't it? After years of Hollywood ignoring the stories of women, this year we finally got a movie about the incredible Williams sisters' dad. (laughs) which to be honest had been a query of mine for some Mm. time but uh it is a very good movie and I've seen it twice but of course that won't be what is talked about forever what happened next really has unraveled the whole of Twitter what I've learned in the last 24 hours is that any opinion I have is completely not warranted. So I'm going to actually just keep my mouth shut in this one because I've really been taking a moment just to sit and listen. I think we all received 
that moment pretty differently. Shelley, how did you feel about that moment? Well, we haven't heard from the main players, but the internet certainly, like you said, melted with opinions and there's been a great divide. I 100% believe that listening to people with lived experience is the way forward in this world and listening, then re-evaluating, re-educating and relearning as a person makes you a better person. But I also think there is space to listen to people who haven't had the lived experience, who have another way of living in that you can listen to them and they just have to be really careful to not cross the line of being a saviour or being right. We are getting that a little bit wrong in this world at the moment, in my opinion. I think there's value in listening, re-evaluating, re-educating and relearning. So yes, I do not believe that this is a race issue at all. We had a black man defending his black wife about a hideous joke um, that he considered a joke from a black man about a disease that affects all races. So in that moment, it was about all people who can be affected by this disease. The anger that you feel when someone is actually made fun of that you love, like a friend or a loved one, and in my case, the student that I've taught with alopecia, is actually very real. Like it's an overwhelming anger. But I stand by and I have tweeted this and said that violence is not the answer and that there's been a lot of pushback that certain races shouldn't be able to say that, that certain things, and I stand, this is not a race issue, this is about a disease and I do listen and I do hear people say that black women are the most oppressed in America. Well, we can certainly verify that that is what happens here in Australia too, but I think there is a place for everyone to have an opinion in this situation. I felt it was appalling. A man to get up out of his chair, walk across the stage with the intent and have all of that time to do what he did and still do what he did. That was a long walk and the aggression within what he said. I don't want my son to look at that and think that that's one funny and all the memes, we, all the crap that people are posting out there and to think that it's acceptable. And I felt that that's what we did as society. And half of society basically said, this is completely acceptable. And it's absolutely not in my eyes. Oh, Shelley, thank you so much. You've been, your opinions on Twitter have been <laughs> received in many different ways. And, um, but I always really appreciate your counsel in these moments. Kate, you had some pretty real feelings about it as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I did, Em. And, uh, you know, a number of people who are very close to me and people who are very near and dear to me were really affected by watching that and watching the fallout. And I wanted to talk really about the fallout. I want to preface what I'm going to say by recognising that it's a really complex and challenging issue that has generated a lot of debate and is really divisive, as Shelley says, and that it does intersect with really complex issues, including in, um, for many people ideas about race and racism, the politics of hair, disability and ableism. But what I do think we can talk about here in this podcast uh, and that we need to talk about is the way that sport intersected with the incident almost immediately after Will Smith had hit Chris Rock. And there are two main ways I saw that unfold and both of them troubled me. The first was in Will Smith's acceptance speech. So not long after he hit Chris Rock, of course, he won the Oscar for Best Actor for his performance as Richard Williams, the father of Serena uh, and Venus Williams. Look, it seemed like he was grappling in the moment with trying to work out what to say in, in the maelstrom of, of what had taken place. And he immediately referred to or drew on the legacy of Richard Williams, uh, who he portrayed in the film, in an attempt to then explain or mitigate his own behaviour, which I personally found pretty distasteful because he mobilised the struggle of black people in sport and put it to use in what I think is a, 
quite different context. And obviously we can't know what Serena and Venus Williams felt in that moment, but I felt for them when the camera panned to them and I felt for their families in that moment because it should have been a celebration of their father and them and also of Will Smith's performance, but instead it became something else much more messy and complicated instead. And what was particularly disappointing about that was that this is the second time in a couple of weeks that something like this had happened with the Williams sisters at an awards ceremony with with this film and they were being celebrated. So just two weeks ago at the Critics' Choice Awards, Jane Campion won for Best Director for her film The Power of the Dog and she used that moment inexplicably uh, to make a really insensitive remark about race and gender directed at the Williams sisters, which she subsequently apologised for. But again, um, they found themselves you know, sort of drawn into an award ceremony in all the wrong ways, I think, and for all the wrong reasons. So I thought that was troubling. But second, the second way that this intersects intersected with sport in the immediate aftermath and in a way that I thought was extremely troubling was that it became almost immediately a meme which was used by sports organizations, individual athletes and betting agencies in a way that, you know, obviously people thought was funny, but I thought was extremely distasteful. So For example, SEN, the radio station, uh, almost immediately tweeted a photograph of Will Smith assaulting Chris Rock and had made it into a meme about Sam Mitchell and those who had doubted him and his capacity as a coach and asked for other people to provide their own contributions. And that led to a series of footy-themed memes celebrating sort of these metaphorical smackdowns uh, in rounds one and two, Craig McRae and Nathan Buckley and Mick Malthouse and Essendon's Final Hopes and so on. And as I said, betting agencies put out some similar memes. Now, many people have made the argument since uh, the assault that violence can take many forms, and it can also that it can also take the form of language and imagery. And a lot of people have argued that Chris Rock's attempted joke was itself a kind of violence against Jada Pinkett Smith. And if we're to take that idea seriously, that language itself can be a form of violence, then what I want us all to reflect on is what do we make? of sporting organisations participating in the reproduction of violent iconography, violent tones, inviting everyone to trivialise or make fun of violence or to entangle sport once again with with violence. And we've spoken so much on this show over so many years about the lack of literacy that many sports media outlets have when it comes to violence and disrespect of all kinds, particularly violence against women, but violence more generally. And I know that a lot of people were triggered, people close to me who I love and care about deeply, who were genuinely triggered and extremely traumatized in the immediate aftermath in seeing those memes and that subsequent memification of the assault. And I hate that we have downplayed that or that sport has contributed to people's suffering in that respect. Um, there's a lot that's been written about this incident and no doubt more will be written in the coming days, but I want to acknowledge and refer people to a piece written by a friend of mine, Professor Steve Roberts, who's a sociologist based at Monash University. Now, Steve has written publicly in the past and spoken publicly in the past about his own experiences as a victim of violence, 
of domestic violence but also other kinds of violence at the hands of other men. He does a re- he's written a piece on the incident and he does a really good job, I think, of navigating all of these complex issues and we'll share that on our social media. But I would encourage people to read Steve's piece because he does explore all of those complexities. And for me, the bottom line is that sports media, once again, I feel like we're just broken records saying this, but they do have to do better. And I want to return to the point that you made on this podcast last week, Lucy, about the way that training on issues like violence and gender equality and issues around masculinity and disrespect is often seen as a kind of optional extra for sports journalists and sports media organisations rather than core business that is shot through the very nature of the work that we do. And I think the memification of that assault and the downplaying and trivialization of it by sports organizations is another example of um, what happens when training on those issues is not seen as core business and people haven't received the education and training they need. Because if they did, I think we wouldn't see those memes that I know personally and directly have upset a lot of, upset a lot of people. Thanks for that, Kate. It didn't escape my attention that this particular award ceremony was full of symbols trying to do the right thing, that the symbols were all there, that uh, it was actually a really inclusive broadcast, that there was a lot of representation from a lot of minorities that have been shut out. There was black excellence on display, yet um, the actions (laughs) were so in reverse. We're just demonstrating that we're just not there yet, that a joke like that could get through that many handlers and people who would have been looking at the script. And and even I was shocked that someone can rush the stage and that there's seemingly no protocol for, for protecting people on stage if, if it's a, someone in the front row who's an A-lister. Um, there was those things really boggled my mind. Lucy, what was it that was kind of a takeaway for you? Well, I don't think you need my hot take on it. <laughs> so I'm not going to sort of go back over some of the ground that we've talked about. But something that I have been really thinking about over the last, particularly last 24 hours, is that just broadly that in the world and in the society that we live in, whichever country that is, that there are power structures and forces that are always at play. I think some of them we see clearly and they're usually the ones that you know, we're, we're kind of familiar with. So I see gender inequality and I see it probably through my prism as a white person with a lot of privilege. But then there are other power structures and forces that we don't see very clearly. And that's usually due to unconscious bias and probably due to where we sit in, in the system ourselves. And I think at a moment like this, what's important is to listen. And if you can listen without defensiveness, which is something that I'm trying to do across a lot of different areas, that then we learn things and we might not necessarily end up in agreement. But I do think that it starts to help illuminate and make, I guess, explicit what was previously invisible. That's something that I really value. And that's something that I think that across so many issues is is a really important takeaway. So that's what this moment has been for me. I'm Natasha Stott-Despoir and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. 
A couple of weeks ago, Kate O'Halloran, friend of the pod, released uh, an incredible article about ACLs that was really thorough and actually furthered the conversation. We've talked about ACLs a lot here. We've had to talk about them a lot in the last two seasons of AFLW. Lucy, you have been itching to talk about this. Yes, I have because this piece was really in-depth and gave us some new information, which I think is always really valuable. For this piece, Kate interviewed Professor Kay Crossley, who's the Director of La Trobe Uni's Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Centre, and also Aaron Fox, who's a researcher at Deakin's Centre for Sport Research. And some of the things that came out in this article is that, yes, on current data, AFLW players are more likely than AFLM players to sustain an injury to their ACL. Um, but the, the two biggest risk factors for everyone, whether you're playing in the men's or in the women's competition, is family history and if you have previously ruptured an ACL. They talked about some of the factors that go into why people might do this injury in terms of being modifiable and non-modifiable. Professor Crossley really debunked some of the biological factors that people have suggested play a part and and mean that in some respects, I think some people have said, is it really, you know, questioned if it's if it's safe for women to play football because of the higher incident. So I think, you know, there's been a long tradition of deciding for some people, that women's bodies are not up to the demands of sport. And areas that have been questioned in the past are things like hormones and do female hormones play a part. Professor Crossley says that the evidence lags behind the hype on this particular point. And Aaron Fox said something that I thought was so important, that it's really necessary that we tease out what the data is illustrating. So in looking at the way that women have been sustaining these injuries as opposed to the way men are, his hypothesis is that it's unanticipated scenarios around decision-making that are playing, placing that extra load on the knee. And so his suggestion is that experience and the time in the environment is actually key. And Professor Crossley goes on to say that when women go full time, there is likely to be a reduction in injury. You can see players, right, making a decision and then their bodies have to catch up. Now, yes. in the men's, when they've had so much more experience at the higher level of playing and they've got so much more game experience just from practice matches even or just from training, they know what their bodies can do. They know, you know, there's certain turns and swivels that they can do. And the women just don't get that amount of hours into their bodies for their bodies and their brains to catch up and make those decisions safely necessarily, Lou? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that they talk about is that in dance where men and women and have, have had the chance to dance alongside each other for a very long time, that the incidence of ACL injury is about the same. Dance is a so, good one to compare it to, yeah. right? Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. But I think what's really important is that there are people that are looking at this that it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible injury and we're not prepared to just accept these rates of injury. So it's wonderful that there is so much research being done to try and mitigate it and to affect those modifiable factors going forward. Yeah, what I really love about that article and that work is there are many things. Uh, first and foremost, I think the fact that the work is being done and that the knowledge base is being built over time because, you know, with women's health and women in sport generally, they've always lagged far behind 
research for men and men's health issues and men's health needs. And so we're always, I think so often, as you signaled there, Lucy, people revert back to sort of simplistic stereotypes and assumptions about the function of hormones and the the notion that women's bodies might be inherently weaker and that that explains Mm. everything. And that Mm. leads us down, I think, a very dangerous path. But this research and this work uh, is really shifting uh, those understandings and pointing to structural solutions that are readily available to us if we just invest not just more in research but then invest more in those players. So um, I think it's great to to see and great to hear that work and I'm really grateful for Kato, to Kato Halloran for shedding light on it for all of us. Totally. An important one for us to amplify because I do feel like that, that when the conversation comes up, men say, or people who haven't, you know, not delving deep into this just so quickly weaponize our oh, women's bodies are not made for it but now if we have re- this embedded in research and thanks to Kate we do have it on a public platform we can share it and amplify that story so that we can you know change the story on that and re and retell it in this other way which is way more healthy and also you know use it to advocate for equity because it's going to make it a safer and better game for everyone um I've got a question for you all and I want to have a conversation about this if you were debuting you hadn't played a senior game yet and you got the call up but you were the medical sub would you be disappointed do you think that this is a real story Shelley you are shaking your head you are saying no not a chance if I've made it to the AFL and I get to pull on that bib and get out there and have a chance to play I'm going to be thrilled and I don't care who my dad was and what my dad did before (laughs) (laughs) don't you reckon you'd learn a lot sitting on the bench Absolutely, you'll learn a lot. Like this, the energy, the excitement of it all. Like we're talking about young people who are living their dream. To be sitting there on the bench in a real game, ready to rock on, highlight, and they will just be, they don't even realise what's to come, but that would be a pivotal moment in their career. There was some mm. articles this week saying it should be illegal. Kate, you're a lawyer. Is it illegal <laughs> to make a debutante <laughs> sit on the bench? Can we actually make a citizen's arrest over this? <laughs> Uh, as far as I know, it's not illegal, not yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Shelley. I think if you get the opportunity to be selected, that's a real joy and, and a real achievement in and of itself and a lot of people don't even make it that far. But what's been really troubling for me this week hearing people debate this issue, we're talking, of course, about the context of Tex Wanganeen in particular, having been selected for Essendon and spending the whole game on the bench. The reason why people said that this was disappointing was that it was disrespectful to his family because his dad was a great of the game. And I hate that. I hate that discourse. I hate that dialogue, particularly for Tex Wanganeen himself, because it positions him as sort of somehow more entitled than everybody else who's on the list. Oh, imagine saying to him, you're going to get a game because of your dad. Yeah. No one wants that kind of nepotism knowledge, Exactly. It it creates more pressure for him. It potentially, I'm not saying that it has, but it has the potential to create resentment among other players on the list who would become suspicious about why he's been, like everything about it is stupid. And um, and as Shelley says, you know, there are a lot of players who don't ever get the, you know, a lot of people who want to play AFL footy who never get the opportunity to even make it that far. There's no doubt that Wanganeen will get a game down the track and um, good luck to him and I hope he turns out to be half as good as his, as his father. But one thing I want to acknowledge is that Shelley referred to him getting the opportunity to pull on the bib. <laughs> and, well, no, I love it, Shelley, because... The medical because, bib, right? The medical sub, don't bib? know where a bib. It is, it is. But but I love it because also, too, it made me think about the discussion that you all had the other week about how you can't 
pronounce Guernsey and Jersey and tribunal <laughs> and so forth. And it makes me think we should just all call it the bib. Yeah. Go with the kind of netball analogy. What do you think, Lucy? Are you happy to, you know, grab the bench and sit down, have your opportunity sitting down for one time? Oh, I would love that because, <laughs> honestly, the idea of playing football out there just looks way too intense for me. No, honestly, I think it's about playing your role and everybody, teams need everybody to play their role. And you know that I am a huge fan of let's give everybody who went into a premiership a medal. I clearly think that people are part of the team, whether they are on the field or on the bench. That's the role that you played that week and be proud of it. Don't it's awesome. you think they're actually, in a lot of ways, there's not a more important role because say someone does get injured, you're the most important person there. That's right. <laughs> like, and you don't know. You might have to be full forward or full back oh, or ruck. Totally. You don't know <laughs> if you're going to be putting on the centre or the wing defence bib. Which bib are you going to wear? You might be going to wing attack. The other aspect of it too, though, in terms of playing your role is that, you know, as Lucy says, the person sitting on the bench not only has an opportunity to observe the game but maybe to give advice and input and feedback to the other players as they come off because they might be seeing stuff that the players themselves haven't identified. And so, um, you yeah, know, I and, reckon and you, you're dreaming that a debutante's going to say to some like 300-gamer who comes <laughs> on, I'll just take you aside there maybe and not. give me some tips. <laughs> maybe not on this occasion, maybe not Wanganin, I don't know, but... You know, certainly there have been lots of games where really experienced players have been named as the medical sub and I'm thinking about, you know, Hawthorne having named greats of our club in the AFLM over the years and you see them talking to the other players as they come off and they're giving them advice and feedback and and they are playing a role, as Lucy says. Mm -hmm. And even if the debutante doesn't have the confidence or perhaps didn't have the experience or expertise to do that just yet, that, that is something that the medical sub can contribute. So they're part of the team and, yes, I also think they should get a premiership medallion. <laughs> I'm watching this documentary at the uh, Netflix show at the moment about Formula One. I've never cared about Formula One, but it's got me completely hooked. And in a recent episode, uh, Michael Schumacher's son, Mick Schumacher, is kind of hanging out in one of the sheds with one of the teams. And I was thinking, gee, nothing would make you race faster than them bringing in Mick Schumacher, who who is a who does race now as well, seeing who's sitting on the bench basically and who's waiting for you. I mean, having Tex Wanganin sitting on the bench, gee, you're going to perform pretty well thinking they're, they've actually got the new young guy sitting there waiting to take my spot, so I better perform today. Shelley? 100%. That's how this game works. And if I saw him sitting there, I'd be, you know, pulling my socks up a bit faster and running a bit faster and kicking a few more goals for mm. sure. Mm, totally. All right, let's get to final business. There's a bit to get through this week actually because a lot happened. What kicked off the week uh, just after we dropped the pod last week is Kate Ashbarty made quite the announcement. She did. She announced her retirement, She's, uh, which I think shocked a lot of people, the number one women's tennis player in the world, having come off the back of winning the Australian Open, of course, only just a few weeks ago. I was really thrilled for Ash. I was thrilled to see her make a decision for herself and to go out at the top of her craft. And, um, you know, there was a lot of speculation about what she might do next, including whether she might come and play AFLW. Who knows? I... 
um, you know, it's of course an absolutely matter for her, but we just wanted to acknowledge what a terrific player she has been, uh, a very important ambassador for Indigenous culture in Australia too, and um, we wish her very well with whatever she does next. Shelley, do you have any final business for us? Yes. Firstly, I'd like to send our love to Susan Alberti, who lost her beautiful husband, Colin, this week. Love and strength to you, Susan. You're in our hearts and, of course, in our thoughts and We certainly send you lots of strength through this difficult, difficult time. And in other news, in something really quite delightful, I don't know if you all knew that the AFL had actually employed Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be Indigenous player development managers across all of the 18 clubs. So it was nice to see them all collectively out there for a photograph on the MCG to celebrate what is history in the making in the AFL. Fantastic pathway, really great way to change the systems and structures and see some some change coming up through the ranks and what a great initiative that is and really proud to see them demonstrating that with this beautiful photo on the MCG. Nothing looks better than that. Not everyone gets to run out on the MCG, by the way, Shelley. You live out on the MCG. Schmucks <laughs> like us never get to go on the MCG, so I'll be packing all my Sorry ancestors' ashes if I ever get the chance. <laughs> Lucy- Do not drop me there. <laughs> Lucy, did you have some final business for us? I do. And so another another Indigenous woman who is making history is Jakara Egan, and she's coaching in the AFLW Academy. She's going to be joined by the one and only Daisy Pierce, who will be coaching alongside Jakara and Alicia Eva. That is going to mark the first time that there is an even split between men and women across the coaching panels. So there'd been a lot of discussion about what Days was going to do and whether she was going to go into coaching. And she has acknowledged that this will be her first proper coaching experience and it's something that she's always wanted to explore. Can I say something that's a massive regret of mine is when I had my third daughter, Phoebe, in 2013, a premiership year for the Hawks, uh, we were tossing up the name Daisy and we went with Phoebe, we call her Pippi, and I've had some regrets because I didn't actually personally know Daisy then. And if I had, I really think she could have been a little Daisy. And she actually has said to me she thinks that we made a terrible <laughs> error and that she should be called Daisy. Okay. Oh, I don't think it's too late to change her Never. name, is it? Because um, there was that story <laughs> last week where one of the Jenners, Kylie or Kendall, Kardashians. one, of, those, oh, yeah, one yeah. of them, yeah, one of them. Um, had a son I believe that she called Wolf Hmm. and then she had a change of heart after she'd seen him for a few days and realized that the name didn't sit with him Mm. uh, didn't Mm. didn't work for him because he didn't have any teeth yet (laughs) 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 maybe she'll maybe she'll loop back around to Wolf as a name after the teething period but uh anyway she did it Em and and I I know Pip's you know she's eight nine years old now but still I don't think it's too late to change to change jump ship I'm gonna change my name to Karen Baxman all right the final the final bit of final business so this is the the very end of final business the final final business is that Saturday the 2nd of April at 12 40 at the MCG you can watch the D's play the Lions it is free get along and if you are in Adelaide you can watch the Crows play the Dockers at 2 40 Adelaide time also free at the Adelaide Oval, two of the most beautiful venues in Australia's sporting, uh, what would you call that? Landscape. Like a palette. Landscape. Landscape. Yeah. Property portfolio. Just, 
Melbourne portfolio. <laughs> exactly. Gil, They're Gil's both portfolio. so beautiful. They're so beautiful. So get along to the games. We would love you to tag us into any of your posts. We'd want to see your photos and we hope that we will see you at a game unless you're in ISO. Commiserations <laughs> to those present and those listening couch who watches. are going through that. Solidarity. <laughs> Send us a photo from your couch. It is time for us to get out of here. There is only one thing left to say, and that is go, go footy. footy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.